Seven years ago, I preached on one of the most important uh, ladies in the Bible, and I'll explain why. Seven years later, I want to revisit her life and her circumstance. Her name is uh, Naomi. She is found in the pages of the Old Testament Book of Ruth. And since that Book of Ruth does not bear the title Naomi, but rather Ruth, it is not Naomi who gets all the ink, but she well should. She is a mentor, she is a foundation, she is a central figure. And as I explain shortly, from Naomi, there shall come 1,200 years later the birth of a child whose name is Jesus in the same village that Naomi grew up in. She lived in Bethlehem. Her name means pleasantness. And as you look at the story of Naomi, it just overflows with what Proverbs 3.17 describes. In the life of Naomi, all of her ways were pleasantness, and all of her paths were peace. That's what emanated from her. Two great women in the book of Ruth, it's four chapters. And the irony with the book of Ruth is where it is placed. It is placed between the book of Judges and the book of 1 Samuel. And the book of Judges is perhaps the most violent book to be found in the Old Testament. The assassinations, the murders, the bloodshed, endless. And then you have 1 Samuel, and that is not much better. 1 Samuel is King Saul. They are fighting the Philistines endlessly. And in the very last chapter of 1 Samuel 31... Saul is killed. His boys are killed with him. These two great books of violence. And in between them is a gentle pastoral tale that bears the name Ruth. It's a sweet interlude and a tremendous chorus of war and violence in these pages of Ruth. Four chapters. There is not a single evil-minded person. There is no act of violence There's no crime, there's no cry of the dying upon the battlefield. There is no fierce vengeance. Ruth is a book of peace. Ruth is a book of peace. And as I said, there is a most gentle link in the chain of the descent and ancestry of Christ our Lord to be found in the story of Naomi and Ruth. Story begins in the Iron Ages of the Judges. We're talking 1300 BC. There was no king in the land of Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In Bethlehem, there lived a man named Elimelech. He falls in love with one of the pretty girls there in Bethlehem, and her name is Naomi. They marry, they have two children, the oldest boy, Malon, the youngest boy, Kilion. And everything is fine until the famine comes. It does not last a year or two or three, it lasts five, six, seven years. And they have a choice to make. Shall they stay in the land of Israel, which many did, and shall they die? Shall Elimelech watch his wife and his children die? That is what many of them did. 
To the east there is the land of Moab. In the land of Moab they worship idols. There is a boundary between Israel and Moab that shall not be crossed. Elimelech has to decide whether he shall watch his family starve to death or whether he shall go to the land of Moab. I'm sure he and his wife had many discussions and the wife says to him, God can go anywhere. God can go anywhere. John chapter 4, Jesus saying to the woman at Sychar's well, doesn't matter where you worship God, whether it's on your mountain or the mountain in Jerusalem. God can go anywhere. And that is what Naomi says to her husband. And they go to Moab. And they set up their altars to Jehovah God in the land of Moab. Things prosper well there until Elimelech dies, her husband dies. Naomi, the young widow, was left with the two boys, Malon and Kilian. And as the years drifted by, Malon married a Moabite woman. He could have gone back to Bethlehem, but he marries a, a Moabite woman. And when he marries a Moabite woman, it is not the idols of Moab that they worship. It is Jehovah God. And then Kilion falls in love with, a, with one of the Moabites, and he marries her as well. They had not been married too long when the great sadness struck the heart of Naomi a second time. Her oldest boy, Malon, dies. We know not how or why, but he dies. It is one thing to lose a spouse, but when you lose a child, when you're a mother or a father and you lose your child before you leave this earth, there is no pain or grief to equal that one. Her heart is struck deeply. And unbelievably, a third and final time, the great heart of Naomi is struck a mountain-shattering blow because her other boy, Kilion, he dies. Husband dies. Her two boys die. And what does she do? If you're one who worships the gods of Moab, you sit and think that God, our gods are angry with us. We need to do something. We need to sacrifice something or somebody because the gods of Moab are so angry at us. When her husband dies, she kneels down in her room and she prays to Jehovah God. When her boys die, she kneels down in her room and she prays to Jehovah God and she offers a praise of glory and thanksgiving to him for allowing her to have this husband in her life and these boys in her life. And the two girls, Ruth and Orpah, they are watching her. They are watching her in utter dumbfounded amazement. They are watching her. And they are saying to themselves and to each other, how can this woman, whose husband has died, whose boys have died, how can this woman be kneeling down offering sacrifices to God and singing His praises and meanwhile asking God to watch over the two girls whose husband has just died? It is a most astonishing story. 
I've been blessed to be able to baptize almost 2,000 people in all of these years. 90% of them are babies. And mom and dad come up here and they hold that baby in their arms. And they say three vows. I ask them, do you acknowledge that the most important thing your child will ever have in their life is a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And I pause for a moment, and they say yes. Secondly, I say to them, do you claim God's covenant promises on behalf of this child? Do you claim God's promises, 7,000 of them, the promise your sins are forgiven, the promise, lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age, the promise, fear not, I am with you, the promise, I will direct your paths on this earth. And when I ask them, do you claim God's promises, I say to them, here's what you're doing. You're saying that I understand that this baby, three months of age, will have difficulties in his or her life. And when I claim God's promises on the day of their baptism, I am making this statement. I shall point them to God. They shall hear from my lips about Jesus and about their Lord and Savior, about God himself. That's what they shall hear. When they hit a home run, playing baseball, they shall hear from me, isn't God good? Look at the talent he's given you. When they're struggling over where they're going to go to school, I will say to them, God will direct the path here. We will trust him. And when the storms come in that child's life, the parent, the mom and the dad will say to them, here's the promise that God gives you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's what you spend your lifetime doing as a parent. And it's the greatest thing you can do. And the third vow a parent takes is this one. Do you promise on this day that you will set a Christian example for your child in the words you speak in their presence and the deeds that you do in their presence? Now, I know I shouldn't add that, right? Because you're supposed to watch your words and your actions even when they're not around. But in the presence of your children, the words that come out of your mouth and the deeds that are done, they must be an example to that child of their Lord and Savior, the Christian life. And then I say to the parents, do you vow that you will pray with and for your child on a daily basis? Will you provide by any means God gives you the opportunity to show them Christ in your life and in your home? When I read this story of Naomi, that's what I see. If Naomi was standing in front of me when her boys were baptized, she would have had a glow on her face. That's what she did. When the crops were good in Moab, Ruth and Orpah heard her saying, man, this is from Jehovah God. We didn't need to sacrifice the blood of some human being and we didn't need to cut ourselves or do all these things. God is a God of love. And when the boys die and these two girls are thinking, well, I guess he's not a God of love because her two sons have died and her husbands have died. She's the witness. She's the witness. She's the one who day and night brought forth Jehovah God into their lives. His power, his love, 
and his wisdom. I believe something happened here. I believe that probably the family of Ruth and Orpah disowned them. Why? Because they married an Israelite. And all of a sudden they're shunned. I believe that Naomi becomes as close to Ruth and Orpah as if she was their own mother. There comes a time when a heart that is wounded wants to get back home. And that's what happened with Naomi. She could stay in Moab as long as her husband was alive. He dies. She could stay in Moab as long as Malon and Kilion are alive. They die. And now her heart goes back home. She says, I want to live out the rest of my years in Bethlehem. I still have some family there. It'll be my source of peace and comfort. She heads back to Bethlehem. And when she comes to the border of Moab and Israel, she says to the two that are as close as daughters to her, she says, you must go back home. They argue with her intensely. Finally, Orpah gives in and she goes back home. But with uh, Ruth, it is different. I took a literature class one time in college. The gentleman who was teaching was not so much a Christian. But as he pulled out some literature on that particular day, the first thing in front of our face were these words from Ruth. And he said, in all of literature, secular or religious, there is nothing that will match heart to heart that which was said by Ruth. Ruth said to Naomi when she said, go back home. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. Where thou diest, Naomi, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death separate thee from me. Why was she so close to Naomi? Her name is Pleasantness, and from her, whether there be a storm raging or a great blessing from God, there was only peace. Notice she, just, she did not just say, thy people shall be my people. There it is, thy God, the one who you pray to when your sons die. Thy God, who you exemplify every single day in your life, thy God shall be my God. They go to Bethlehem, the two of them. Law of Israelite, book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you could not when you harvested your field. You couldn't harvest everything. You always had to leave some grain at the edges of the field for the foreigners and the strangers and the poor in the land. And when you pick the grapes and the fruit from the orchards, you were to leave some grapes and some fruit for the poor and the stranger in the land. Naomi and Ruth were exceedingly poor. There was no male in the family anymore. Ruth goes out to glean in the fields. Boaz, the owner, sees her, falls in love with her, love at first sight. 
And then he inquires of her. And they say she's from Moab. I don't think he blinked an eye. He probably said, tell me why she's here if she lived in Moab. And then the story comes out. And he cannot believe that Ruth would give up her life. She's not going to find anyone to marry in Israel. She'll be shunned. She's a Moabite. And that's what Naomi said. Go back home. You have a better chance of getting married in Moab. You never get married in, in Bethlehem. When Boaz heard her story and the courage that was there, and above all else, the compassion and devotion towards this woman, Naomi, that was it for him. When he saw this woman, that was it for him. Proverbs 31.30, Beauty is fleeting, charm is deceptive. The woman who fears the Lord is much to be praised. Naomi respected God. Ruth did as well. And here comes Boaz, and they get married. And from their marriage, there comes a child. His name is Obed. Obed gets married. He has a child. The child's name is Jesse. Jesse gets married. He has a child that just happens to be David, King David. And from David's line, 900 years later, here comes the Christ child. The last point pertaining to this story. There is no more selfless love on this earth than a parent's love for their child. I'm always amazed throughout all the years that Connie can remember Everything, everything about John and Josh. She is long since giving up asking me the question, do you remember this? No, no I don't, no I don't, no I don't. But it's etched in her mind. For a mother, that child is inside of her womb. They are sharing blood, but they are sharing far more than blood. There is a connection unspeakable between a mother and a mother. And a child. And you know that as well as I. Naomi begs the two girls, stay in Moab. I am more concerned about you than about me. You stay in Moab. You'll marry, you'll have children. Stay in Moab. But they follow her. There is a second and a final point I want to make here. The older I get, the more is it embranded in my mind that there is no fate or fortune. There is no good luck or bad luck. I say it to you all the time. It's God. It's just God. It is just God. Had there been no famine in the land, they would not have gone to Moab. Have they not gone to Moab, then Ruth and Orpah would never have entered the biblical history. Had her boys not died, they'd have stayed in Moab all of their lives. They would have not gone back to Bethlehem. Ruth would not have married Boaz. And from that particular line, the Christ child would not have come. Everything in God's hands. And the sooner you, as a mother or father, can elicit that wisdom to your children whether it's picking some school to go, whether it's college or, or whether it's a job or whether it's 
you know, should I marry this person or not? The sooner that a parent begins to tell their child, God has this, that much sooner does this relationship with our Lord and Savior expand. Nothing in your life going on right now, nothing is good fortune or bad fortune. Psalm 139, He knows when you leave one situation and enter another. He has every path that you will ever walk already directed by Himself. And David writes in that psalm, such knowledge is too much for me to put into words. It is too much for me to understand. Happy Mother's Day, one and all. If it applies to you, happy Mother's Day to you. If your mom is up in heaven, then you thank God for her. And the memories flow. My mom's been gone four years now. And, uh, and there is something about this day that uh, manages to affect me. Closing hymn is 801, not because it's Bob's favorite hymn, but because it's my mama's favorite hymn. And that's why we sing it every Mother's Day. And God be with you. I had uh, two mothers here last night. It's their first Mother's Day, and they were so excited. There was a three-year-old back there, and, and I said to her, do you know what tomorrow is? And she said, it's Mother's Day. I'm so excited, I don't think I'll sleep tonight. It's Mother's Day tomorrow. God be with you. And from this great story of Naomi, who in the midst of the greatest tragedies imaginable, she is lifting up her hands, giving praise to God, and it is touching the lives of those that God has brought to her. May the same be said of us in our Savior's name. Amen. Heavenly Father, bless this day. Bless this day. We have a faith in you, Lord, and that is the greatest thing we shall ever have. And if we are blessed with family and friends, that is the second greatest gift we shall ever receive from you. And when we think of family, we think of one person, and that is our mothers. Keep us close to you, Lord, in our Savior's name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.